Party time, Mom. Welcome to another episode of the Chad Prather Show here from Studio 22, the mothership with the puppet master Mark driving us into the nether regions, sitting alongside the lovely Candice, queen of the Ethiopians, who not only sits upon the throne, but wears a crown, a halo, if you will, an effervescent glow. Look at her. She just shines. Herbert the silent deer looks on with the same look of shock that he had when the truck hit him. Party Fowl is in the pub taking selfies. I was taking a selfie. I'm not any longer. I like your little square smile you usually. I'm a fake one. You get at that. <laughs> He's glowing too. Like, do you real smile? He's like, <laughs> look at this double chin I got, Natalie. I'll cover mine up. Mm. With a beard? Mine's growing in. This mustache today, is horrible, guys. It's horribly glorious. I think I'm going to do mine like that today. I'm going to see what Why it is. are you turning your nose up, Natalie? You want some sugar? <laughs> I, it's, um, I just think it's time to go. Is it? See, that's why it's not going. <laughs> mine, mine's not quite long enough. Yeah. I'll do it. It has gotten to that point, Natalie. Yeah, it's gotten to that point. It is pretty Because you don't care. Horrendous. Oh, no, I care today. That was yesterday. Oh, your new day. Okay, I care today. I care about everybody, man. I'm joining the cause. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm joining the cause. I don't know what cause, but by God, I'm joining it. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into a little bit of off the rails. I want to talk to you a little bit about history today. I love Might history. Cover a couple of uh, headlines as well. You know, history, I, I, I made the comment the other day, and I don't think it's necessarily a new thought. Uh, I've seen similar statements to it, but I tweeted this day before yesterday where I said, history is not for you to like or dislike. It's for you to learn from. Mm -hmm. And see, we're at a point right now where we're fighting history because we don't like certain aspects of it. Well, people have always been people. And the funny thing about it is, 100 years from now, people are going to look back on this date in 2020, and they're not going to like our history either. There's going to be things about it. Uh, who was it? Um, gosh, 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 who was it? Dead gummit. It wasn't Winston Churchill. Ooh, the quote. He said, uh, oh, gosh, I'll come up with it in a second. Okay. Do you about remember how, the quote? Who, yeah, it was like, who wrote history? It's I, I don't want to misquote it. I don't okay. want to say it and then misquote who said it. But, yeah, basically, uh, um Somebody said that history is written by fail novelists. Mm. <laughs> Basically, just who can... Winston Churchill did say, I think he said that, uh, you know, history is just uh, when you tell enough lies that they get, there's enough of them that you just start to believe them. Mm. I believe that. I believe there's so much <laughs> fake history out there anyway that over hundreds and thousands of years... It of would shock you. It would shock you. Like, for instance, what if in 100 years the history was told that for right-leaning conservatives that the reason we had a problem was because we wanted to defend Confederate statues because we really hoped that blacks would still be enslaved. So you could easily create that narrative, right? Like, if you defend Confederate statues, that's because you still want to have slaves, See, so if the right person writes that history 100 years from now, maybe they believe that about, you know, 
white Americans that were conservatives. Just depends on how you tell the narrative. See what I mean? I'm, I'm That's all, dangerous. Like the statues and stuff. I'm like cool with having the statues. Um, but do they need to be the, you know, cornerstone of our, you know, of our I don't know, think community. those Confederate statues have ever been the cornerstone of a community. But some people we'll feel get like into that. Are. We're going to take a break, but I, we could talk about that some today because I have some thoughts there, and I've had a lot of people who have asked me to speak out on this issue, and I'll do it. I'll do it from a historical perspective. Okay, I'll let history speak, and we'll talk about it first. ExpressVPN. I love those guys. Uh, it's on my mobile device. I just hit the button before I go online. It's that uh, it's that software that you know you got thousands of folks out there that watch this show. They use it every day to protect your online data. In the time since I started using ExpressVPN, hacking methods have just gone crazy. They've gotten more sophisticated. I've run into people out in LA who still carry the old BlackBerry phones and stuff because they're afraid of their phones getting hacked. Things like their iPhones and stuff. And I, you know, stuff we take for granted, but it happens. And I'm sure that many of you are working from home these days. You're on your computer. You don't want to pull a Hillary Clinton and have things disappear, right? Without a good VPN, um, your IT department is not there to protect you from online threats. It's important that you take action on your own to secure your devices that you use for work. Your personal stuff, your finances, all those things. That's why I want to recommend you use ExpressVPN for the best online protection that's out there. I've been talking about ExpressVPN on my show for so long that I know you already understand why encrypting your network data is so important, but some of you still haven't acted. Go get it. Go get it. You might be thinking that security threats don't affect you personally, but not using ExpressVPN is like leaving your storefront unlocked. I mean, you might as well just leave the door, just leave the door wide open for people to come in and take your stuff. It's time that you do something about it. Maybe you can go years without anybody stealing anything from you, but when it does, it is going to be devastating. One of the easiest ways to secure your internet data is with ExpressVPN. You can do it right now. One button click right there on your computer or your smartphone, and you're protected. So my only question is, why haven't you done it yet? Go get ExpressVPN. Visit my special link right now. It's expressvpn.com slash watchchad. Get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. I'll get that for you. Protect your internet today with the VPN I trust to keep my data safe. Expressvpn.com slash watchchad. And we'll be right back. H.L. Minken, I, I totally screwed that up on those quotes. He said, uh, historian is a failed novelist. I was going to say Napoleon. Yeah, well, Napoleon said that it, history is a set of lies agreed upon or fables okay. agreed upon. And then um, Winston Churchill said, study history uh, within history is all the secrets of statecraft. Uh, so there's some really good things out there. Like I, I um, tweeted something today. It was a quote by Aldous Huxley. And of course, then all of the crazies, no, it was yesterday, all the crazies came out and wanted to, you know, jump my butt. You've never read Aldous Huxley. Okay. Um, but I said, uh, I, his quote says, that men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all the lessons of history. Of history. Uh, we don't learn from it. Mm. You know, and we know the old adage, if you don't, you know, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. 
and we're seeing that happen. It's, we're seeing it played out right now, and it's really a sad situation. I firmly believe, have I said this? I firmly believe that if the ancestors of most folks out there who are claiming to have all of these problems could see them today, I think they would say, shut up. You really are desecrating our memory. Because let's face it, the people who were brought here on a slave ship, who were sold by their own people, captured, sold. We talked about this last week, whether you offended the chief, whether you were a prisoner of war, uh, you know, whatever, but you were sold off to slavers and you came over here on a ship, you, then you were sold on an auction block and brought to some plantation, both in the North and in the South, so we're not going to delineate from that. This was an American uh, tragedy. That was a horrible thing. To, for a man and a woman to be owned by another man and a woman is a tragic thing. That is the epitome of not having any rights versus what so many have fought so hard to give the black community in America today, whether it's, uh, you know, we're coming up on Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the, uh, the false accusation of rape that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921 that led to a wholesale slaughter of the black community and burning down their buildings and just a horrible, atrocious thing that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to now you're burning down your own communities. You know, that was the that was a horrible event, but it was the impetus. It was the seminal issue that started the civil rights movement. So I go back to Romans 8 that says all things work together for good to those who are called according to his pur- who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Uh, and it, it, you take that out, that all things work together for good. If I gave you a bowl of flour and some raw eggs and a little spoonful of vanilla, you know what I'm saying, and a bowl of sugar and all those things, and I said, here's a spoon, I want you to eat all that stuff, none of it would taste good. But if you mix it together and made a cake, it'd be delicious mm-hmm. because all things work together for good. You take a, cake. You take a lot of things. Aunt Jemima pancake. Steve's over there getting hungry. I am Talking now. about Aunt Jemima. So you got, you, you got situations. When did I say this yesterday? You have obstacles to climb on. Use the obstacles of history to make it better. You know, I wanted to do this whole segment on history because – very passionate about this this fact that these were real people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They lived and they died. They feared. They rejoiced. They celebrated. They said happy birthday to one another. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. They spun the dreidel. They, they decorated their homes. You know? They got a toothache. They stumped their toe. Mm-hmm. They got mad. They had fights with each other. They, they argued with their spouses. These were real people. They, they struggled to figure out how they were going to pay for their home. You know? How are we going to make it? These were real people. Mm-hmm. And they were caught in the middle of these macro circumstances that enveloped them in history. And now we define generations of people according to the umbrella they lived under. And that's not fair, I don't believe. I don't believe that's fair. I've always said you have to judge a person in light of the time in which they lived. So to go in, back to your point 
earlier, Steve, to go in and to start tearing down statues that represent a person and that person that represents a certain period of time in American history, I don't think that's how you endear one another as a community to each other, right? Because you're, in essence, tearing down uh, a symbol to a heritage, a heritage that was not just about slavery, that was not just about oppression. Uh, you know, Lady Antebellum, the music group, came out and changed their name to Lady A., because they said antebellum represents a time period in the South when slavery was rampant, so we don't want to be offensive. And it's like, get a grip, folks. And then they changed her name to Lady A. Well, there's a black singer in Washington who came out now. She's suing them because she's been Lady A for 20 years. You can't win. Mm. Yeah. You can't win. So, I mean, here they were trying to appease the black community, and you got a black woman suing you now. So you, you can't win with this whole deal. It's it happened. It happened. It happened. And I'm telling you, let's say we had a civil war today. You line up on your side and the other side lines up on their side and y'all just go to killing each other. I can guarantee you beyond the shadow of a doubt, Natalie, that whichever side won, neither one of them would reinstitute the atrocity of slavery in this country. Correct. Because nobody wants that. No. We're not there. That's not who we are today. We're not who our forefathers are. Why? Because we learn from history. We've grown from that. We got our own shit we do that's bad, right? We got our own stuff. But nobody in this country is saying, you know what? We want to subjugate you again because of the color of your skin. And I'll remind everybody that this wasn't a southern issue this wasn't a, a just this was an american issue this whole slavery thing and so to try to blame someone's descendants i mean i, I you know what am i going to do am i going to am i going to blame you know you because your great grandfather killed somebody with a while he was you know riding his horse drunk and <laughs> trampled him to death i'm not gonna hold you accountable for the sins of your great-grandfather that's 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 silly you know i mean it's just absolutely silly so my big question there is and, and i got this article here that someone sent to me uh it's written by a guy named mike scruggs and he asked the question will removing confederate symbols promote social peace he says of course not um, he says, how long would a peace based on suppression of a people's cherished heritage last? How long would a peace built upon suppressing the memory, valor, and virtue of the revered forebears of a great number of the Southern people last? What could possibly be a sure cause of immense strife, bitterness, and economic and political turmoil? Does anyone outside of a madhouse believe that peace and prosperity can be achieved by discarding the heritage of a numerous people to gain the political favor of another? It's more likely to shatter all hope of peace. Can a society set itself against tolerance and mutual respect and have peace? No fair-minded person can accept such corrupt reasoning. Uh, He said, I believe we can all be glad that slavery is behind us, but dragging it out year after year to manipulate voters, both black and white, there's a strong chance of destroying us altogether. Destroying cherished symbols of Southern and American heritage to placate lawless mobs is not sound judgment. Appeasing one group by disrespecting the heritage of another is not the road to justice the flames of manipulated hatred do not produce peace but endless insecurity and national destruction sort of agree there uh i might take issue with a couple of those statements but yeah um i i agree 
is it really going to bring a community closer together by coming in there and doing what they do? I mean, and by the way, the guy, they, when they tore that statue down last week and the one hit the guy in the head, he's still in the hospital in a coma and is flatlined twice, mm. uh, which is a, a sad situation. But, you know, this this was not a peaceful, they didn't bring in the cranes and the, and the professionals to remove a statue. They're ripping these things down as a violent mob and this dude got his head mashed in. I mean, it, where does it stop from that point? I mean, the Statue, it never of, Liber- stops. Statue of Liberty was here in 1880s, it, it, in 1886 when, or something. When does it stop? It, it doesn't. What are you going to tear down? You gotta, I mean, I mean, if you're going to tear down statues, then let's tear down all Harvey Weinstein movies. Get rid of all of them. They shouldn't be aired anymore. Don't put them out. So, or, or, or I mean, most people watch a Weinstein movie and they don't even know they're watching a Harvey Weinstein true. movie. True. Right? Um, well, if you watch one, that means you're um, yeah you you're, you're sympathetic for, to rape and and harassment and all these things, and you're guilty along with Harvey Weinstein. So to assume that and to say that is asinine. It's just dumb. There's, there's no logic behind that at all. Um, I'm just innocently watching a movie, right? I'm not I'm not condoning Harvey Weinstein's actions. So if I have a statue to to someone like Robert E. Lee, who was a good man. He was a good man. He was the best general in the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln wanted him to lead his armies, but he could not see himself fighting against his native Virginia. Uh, and, and everybody wants to make the Civil War, Civil War all about slavery. Slavery was the scapegoat. And we could talk more about that. But slavery for the Civil War, that was... <laughs> we're doing the same thing today. You try to find these moral issues to piss everybody off, Right. When we all know, how many times have I said it, the issue is never the issue. It's never the issue. See, when you look at all of the, this, this justice for George Floyd and all these kind of things, at the end, of, and then you're going to donate to BLM, and everybody feels good because, man, we're taking a moral stand. No, you're not. You're funding a political ideology by sending money to the DNC. All right? You're not, you're not sending money to the, to the folks who are protesting on the street to bring about a righteousness for injustice. You're not doing that. So in the same way, the North used slavery as the moral issue to get everybody fired up. How dare these wicked Southerners, they have these people enslaved. Well, let me tell you, even once the slaves were emancipated, the North, especially Illinois, said, hell no, don't come up here. We don't want the blacks coming up North. You know why? Same reason we don't want Mexicans coming in here working in our factories. Mm. We don't want illegals coming in here taking our jobs that are a whole lot cheaper. We don't want to send all of our business over to China, even though they can get it done cheaper. Same reason in 1865. They don't want the blacks coming up there being able to do it for far less wages and giving, getting people out of jobs. Now, I'm oversimplifying the cause, but you see my point. Yes. They didn't want that because blacks, in essence, having been property, they owned nothing. When they were emancipated, what did they do? They had nothing. Well, they had to go out and get a job. Well, nobody wanted to give them a job. Why? Because it meant somebody that was white was going to lose theirs by cheaper labor. That's where things like slave wages come in. You've heard that phrase. Oh, man, we're just getting slave labor. Mm-hmm. They don't want to do that. And we could go we could go real, real deep in that. And we could go a little bit deeper. I mean, I'm happy to talk about the thing. But, but don't sit there and hold yourself with your head high and say, oh, you know, my family's from XYZ part of the United States, so we didn't have anything to do with it. 
You don't have a damn clue what your forefathers had a part in. You don't know. Could have been a scoundrel mm-hmm. that was a bigot, that was that was perverse. Maybe he raped children. You don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't know. You have no idea how perverse your forefathers were. Let's sell something. Hey, working from home is driving up the worst type of cyber crime. You've heard me talk about it. Let's talk about it some more. Home title theft. We're doing it all from home these days. Working, banking, video conferences, meal deliveries, shopping, cyber criminals. They're targeting your homes. They're online, too. Actually, they want the money they can get by taking out a loan against your house. The crime is called home title theft, and the FBI is warning homeowners. You, home title lock is how you protect your home from cyber thieves. Your home's legal title is online. The thieves go out, find it, forge your signature, stating that you sold your home to them. Then they're going to take out loans against your house and leave you with the debt. Banks, insurance, and basic identity theft services, they do nothing to protect you. But Home Title Lock to the rescue puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. Protect your home. Now go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim of this, this horrible crime. Use code CHAD. It gets you 30 free days of protection, and it's going to help you right now that code chad use it at hometitlelock.com go to hometitlelock.com offer code chad we'll be right back you want some history let me give you some history major general patrick r cleburne He was an Irish immigrant, which, by the way, the Irish were some of the most oppressed and enslaved people in the history of America. Uh, He opposed slavery, but he found fault with the northern policies that ignored the Constitution and laid harsh and ruinous economic policies on southern agriculture to enrich northern manufacturers. Remember, you remember, 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 the north had all the industry. The south had all the agriculture. My mother, who's an antique dealer, you know, we had a bowl that sat in our house. It was a decorative, it was a bowl, and it was full of bullets. There were bullets from the Civil War. The Civil War, they were found in battlefields. The Civil War, you could tell what were the northern bullets and what were the southern bullets. What was Union, what was Confederate? The northern Union bullets were big. Mm-hmm. Southern bullets were small. Why? Because the North had more resources to make bigger bullets. Their bullets were actually more lethal. Because they were bigger bullets. They made a bigger hole than the southern bullets. The southern, they, they, had, to, they had to scrape to get the resources. Made because out of corn. They, <laughs> they were an agrarian <laughs> society, right? Which is why slavery was in the South, as it were, because those were, that they needed the, quote, slave labor to make the agrarian society work, right? That's just a historical fact. So... Patrick Cleburne said, every man should endeavor to understand the meaning of subjugation before it's too late. It means the history of this heroic struggle will be written by the enemy. In other words, whoever wins is going to write the history. That our youth will be trained by northern school teachers, will learn from northern school books their version of the war, will be impressed by the influences of history and education to regard our gallant dead as traitors and are maimed veterans as fit objects of derision. It is said that slavery is all we are fighting for, and if we give up, we give up all. If we give it up, we give up all. Even if this were true, 
which we deny. Slavery is not all our enemies are fighting for. It is merely the pretense to establish sectional superiority and a more centralized form of government and to deprive us of our rights and liberties, which is in essence what I just said a minute ago. The issue is never the issue. Can't agree with him more. Uh, Henry Carey, who was Lincoln's chief economist, um, uh, in 1865, he he wrote a letter um, to House Speaker Schuyler Colfax. He said, to British free trade it is, as I have shown, that we stand indebted for this present civil war. So what he was saying was the British pretty much saw through the phony northern claim of some moral superiority. And that was it was uh, Charles Dickens. You remember who was, of course, he wrote Christmas Carol. He wrote, uh, you know, Pickwick Papers. Well, and that's one of the things. If even in war or anything like that, if you can undermine your enemies, whatever their moral object, whatever their morality is, when you can, you know, prove to your own people that their morals are just screwed up, kind of starts there. Mm. Well, again, you're against the barbarians. You have to dehumanize your enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to dehumanize your enemy. It makes them easier to kill. Yep. Right. So here's what Charles Dickens said. Uh, he said the northern and he was English he said the northern onslaught upon slavery is no more than a piece of specious humbug designed to conceal its desire for economic control of the southern states he was anti-slavery but he saw through the bull he saw through the smoke and mirrors Uh, they realized that and you know slavery was an issue it was an issue don't get me wrong but not the moral sense most people have been made to believe uh he says here in this article he says northern armies did not march south to free slaves in 1860 lincoln and republican election campaign clearly indicated that tariff issues were the most important the slavery issue was second and simply to limit slavery to the south this will be shocking he says, to those of you who only know enough about the war for phony political virtue signaling, but many northern states strongly discouraged bringing blacks into their states. Much of this was just a natural law of labor economics. American war- workers don't like to see their jobs taken or wages suppressed by cheap foreign or slave labor. Uh, so he says the religious division between North and South was much more important than people realize. It was related to the slavery issue, but more importantly, Southern clergy and congregations strongly believed that the Northern churches were fast falling away from the infallible truths of the Bible and were being taken over by anti-biblical isms, replacing biblical truth and values with purely human wisdom and politicized higher values. You know the song, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vineyard where the grapes of wrath are stored. You know, you know that, right? Mm-hmm. So you sing it in church. Yes. Okay, well, that song was written by a Union abolitionist. It was not about Jesus at all. Mm. It was, the, the Lord in that was the Union armies coming to trample out the agrarian societies of the South. Oh. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory. Now, I went to a school called the University of Georgia, where, ironically and hypocritically enough, that is our fight song. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, mm. people go wild in the South in Athens, Georgia on game day when they start playing that. But it's a song that is dedicated, and the meaning of it, the symbolism there is to the abolitional North who's coming to trample out the, the, the enlightened North, the religious enlightenment North who's coming to trample out the religious South. The Christian South. We sing it in our churches hypocritically all the time. Mm-hmm. I've pissed a lot of people off with that truth over the years. Um, so I'm going to stop following you. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's one of my favorite songs. Oh, my God. Now they're mad at you. Yeah. <laughs> I um, learned something. I didn't know that. Yeah. Lincoln in 1848, um, uh, you know, the right to secede. It was taught at West Point. Even Lincoln agreed 1848, two days before Lincoln's election in November 1860, the Charleston Mercury summed up Southern feeling, and he said, the real causes of dissatisfaction in the South with the North are in the unjust taxation and expenditure of the taxes by the government of the United States and the revolution the North has affected in this government from a confederated republic to a national sectional despotism. Hmm. So the Confederates truly felt, the South truly felt they were being ruled over by a tyrannical North. And the North had the power and the money and the industry to do just that. Because they were taxing the hell out of everybody. They, they had and the power to do that. What were you going to do? Right? What were you going to do? So they went to war. I'm not saying slavery was not an issue. It was an issue. But you got to remember, it was used as an issue to create something that that was on it, it was put it on the surface to make it look like a moral issue you know we got to go down there and beat this atrocious south no that was just the economy of the day you got to judge people in light of the times in which they lived right that was the norm it was the norm in the north it was a norm in the south it was mm-hmm. an american problem it needed to be banished abraham lincoln wasn't a big fan of it being banished so you can hold him, yes, the first Republican president, put him up on that pedestal. He was not for abolishing slavery in the grand scheme of things. But ultimately, he saw that he had no choice. He had to do that. Okay, so making sense so far in all this stuff? Whew. I mean, I mean, you, what, what angle do you want to look at this thing from? Is slavery atrocious? Yeah. But see, that's my point. Nobody wants slavery back. Nobody wants it back. And don't forget, there were Southern, there were, there were Southern, the very first slave owner in America was a black man. He was a black man. I can't tell you, there were, there were, there were at, the, at the time of the Civil War, 1860, there were 3,200 black slaves owned by black slave holders. What about them? Does that mean maybe you're descended from one of those slave owners if you're black? I mean, you, you, you don't know because you can't trace that back. You're not going to trace that back. You're not going to look at it. Does that mean that the black community needs to pay reparations to the black community now because you owned them too? You own slaves. Gets a little sticky and gets a little tricky. We'll get to the statues in a second. Uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> So when you come along and your solution is to start tearing down external things, I said this yesterday, but you don't deal with the issue of the human heart. It, you just torn down an external thing. But by, by tearing up a symbol that represents someone's forefathers or someone's heritage 
and it is our heritage, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it's still Southern heritage, right? The North was no less guilty, right? It's just like having Northern heritage. How many people live in the South now? (laughs) Their roots are not in the South, Mm -hmm. okay? We are a hodgepodge melting bowl of mixture from people from all walks of life. There are people who are Americans, natural born Americans, whose forefathers and grandparents migrated here from other countries. They weren't even here during the Civil War. They weren't here for any of it. Well, because they're white, though, they're guilty. Well, that's the thing. And that's where we've come to mm-hmm. is is it's about, well, you're guilty by association. And the association just happens to be your skin color. So obviously you must have been most of the folks in the South. I mean, look, if they were so oppressed by the North that was industrious in 18 in the 1860s, 1850s, 1860s, I thought they were some rich plantation owning white folk down there that had all the money in the world. No, they were poor. They were broke. So the average person in the South, they didn't have enough money to own another human being. Okay. Uh, and let me just say this too, as atrocious, and let me just preface everything with what I'm about to say, because what I'm about to say could be taken out of context and be taken very wrong. Slavery should have never happened, but it's been happening since uh, this recorded history goes all the way back. We, it, we've got in Mesopotamia, uh, the Sumeri, we, we've got Sumerian writings that go all the way back to like 3500 BC and there were slaves, Right. There's no, you know, um, what's his name, dumbass that was running, Tim Kaine that was running for vice president alongside Hillary Clinton said that it's an American problem because Americans invented slavery. Jesus, Lord have mercy. That's the dumbest thing. Don't tell the Jews, okay? Don't remind, don't, I don't know what they were doing in Egypt, but don't tell them that it was an American thing. Idiots. Anyway. We have this idea, and it was atrocious, but we have this idea of believing that, um, by and large, everybody was tied to the tree and whipped and and beaten within an inch of their life, and we just killed them ad hoc, you know, just whatever, ad hoc, whatever. I went out and bought a brand new car, a brand new work truck. I'm not going to beat the shit out of it. It's my work truck. I need it. If I don't have my work truck, I can't go to work. So while the atrocities happened, this idea that's been written in history though of widespread, this widespread idea that just everybody was abused, then tell me why in the world when they were emancipated, so many former slaves decided to stay where they were and continue working for their former masters. See what I'm saying? You wouldn't just stay. Now, families were separated. Children, husbands, wives, they were separated. It was atrocious. It was horrible. But this idea that we're just beating them within an inch of a life, how in the the world am I going to have prosper my farm, my plantation, if if I'm killing my workers, right? You see what I'm saying on this? So this idea of, by and large, just saying it was all, it's inexcusable that anyone would ever own another human being. Inexcusable. And that will never, ever happen happen in america ever again by anyone because we don't want that we've all grown from that we've all seen the atrociousness of it it's a horrible thing and we're just not going back there but he says in this he says the political correctness that surrounds all this see it's not politically correct for me to say any of that you know 
So send your hate mail to Steve. Political correctness always reminds me of the hysteria surrounding the Salem witch trials of 1692, where innocent people were executed on the basis of visions or dreams of their accusers. Many were condemned to death because an accuser had testified to seeing the, quote, specter of the accused doing harm or witchcraft. Hysterical young girls pointed a finger at whomever they claimed was a witch, and it was taken as credible evidence. Many of the accused were tortured until they confessed to witchcraft. For much of 1692, lies ruled in Salem. Historical perspective later showed that many of the 19 alleged witches hanged and one tortured to death in Salem were not only innocent, but among the most godly in the community. A substantial number of the accusers had unsavory reputations or were suffering acute mental illness. Other analysis indicates that envy and long-standing grudges in Salem society played an important role in this tragic miscarriage of justice. What has Salem in 1692 got to do with Washington or Minneapolis? Politically correct lies and moral cowardice seldom result in just government and often result in totalitarian government. In our modern culture, the lies usually come as political correct falsehoods that must be embraced as truth to avoid social condemnation and its likely economic penalties. What'd you say, Steve? BLM? You said it yesterday. What a great idea. You can't speak against yeah, it. It was it, it's a brilliant move. Yeah, I mean now Whether you I, gotta accept it or you're gonna get condemned. You're gonna have economic penalties if you don't embrace BLM. Those who strive hard to meet the truth conflicting standards of political correctness are especially prone to historical uh, hysterical condemnation of the innocent. The scapegoat is condemned to avoid offending the sacred cow, which is often an important but false historical narrative. Man, let that sink in. That's powerful. Quote, Civil War history has always suffered from a high dose of Union propaganda about the causes of the war, but the current dominance of cultural Marxism, which is political correctness in American history, and especially the Civil War, has served to hinder any profitable discussion of many important and easily substantiated truths that strongly contradict the politically correct narrative. Um, James Power Smith, the last surviving member of Stonewall Jackson's staff, 1907 he said no cowardice on any battlefield could be as base and shameful as the silent acquiescence in the scheme which was teaching the children in their homes and schools that the commercial value of slavery was the cause of the war that prisoners of war held in the south were starved and treated with barbarous inhumanity that jefferson davis and robert e lee were traitors to their country and false to their oaths and the young men who left everything to resist invasion and climbed the slopes of gettysburg and died willingly on a hundred fields were rebels against a righteous government Robert Dabney, at the annual commencement address delivered June 15, 1882, Hampton Sydney College in Virginia, uh, it was entitled The New South. He said, it behooves the New South in dismissing the animosities of the past to see to it that they retain all that was true in its principles or ennobling in its example. There are those pretending to belong to this company who exclaim, let us bury the dead past. Its issues are all antiquated and of no more practical significance. Let us forget the passions of the past. We're the new world. It's new questions alone concern us. I rejoin, be sure that the former issues are dead before you really bury them. There are issues that cannot die without the death of the people, of their honor, their civilization, their greatness. Take care that you do not bury too much while burying the dead past. That you do not bury the inspiring memories of great patriots whose actions, whether successful or not, are the eternal glory of your race and section. The influence of their virtues, the guiding precedents of their histories. Will you bury the names and memories of a Jackson and Lee and their noble army of martyrs? Will you bury the true history? whose years are those of the God of truth. So there you go. 
That was said in 1882. You know, we're living in we're living in that age. We're living in that age where unfashionable truths, reason, and plain common sense are powerfully suppressed by vicious forms of political correctness and economic coercion. Orchestrated lies permeate and contaminate academia and media. Uh, Evil is called good, good is called evil. And Dabney, in in that same speech in 1882, he said, even if the memory of the defeated had no rights, if historical truth had no prerogatives, if it were the same to you that the sires whose blood fills your veins and whose names you bear be written down as traitors by the pen of slanderous history. Still, it is essential to your own future that you shall learn the history of the past truly. So be careful when you start trying to bury the past. You start tearing down statues and you're doing things like that because those statues stand as a reminder of both the good, the bad, and the ugly. When you tear down history, you don't learn from it. You don't learn from it. And, 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 you know, we, and I will say to the other side, you, you got a lot of sacred cows out there, but you cannot create harmony and peace in a society, in a community by stepping on the heritage of the forebears of that community. You can't do that. You are creating another evil to replace the evil you're getting rid of because nothing, nothing remains a vacuum. Mm. Something's going to rush to fill it. Mm. And when you do that, it's just going to be more hate. Be back in a second. So I know we kind of been heavy on the quotes in this episode. I want wanted you to hear the voice of fallible men who lived in those times, right? They're not gospel truth. They're not. Um, people are fa- they they fail. They they they're frail. They're feeble. They're faulty. And you know they all are. At the end of the day, I love you, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't have I have no hatred in my heart towards any man. No man that I know of. I mean, I just don't have it. But to villainize history is foolish. It really is. It's a bad idea because you're going to do all the same stuff again. I can't say it enough. You can tear down all the outward symbols you want till you tear down your own heart and rebuild that. It ain't going to make any difference. You know, prophet Jeremiah said the, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. You know, you have a heart of stone, and God wants to give you a heart of flesh. And in that hardened heart, until you pull down that stone, it ain't going to matter. It ain't going to matter. So you can keep coming after the symbols. Um, but until you get a soft enough heart to love your neighbor as you love yourself, not a bit of it's going to make a difference. And I'll say this. The average American, the average American that's out there, they love their country. They love their neighbor. They love the law. They don't want to break the law. They don't want to go to jail. They don't want to spend their life incarcerated. They certainly don't want to go to war uh, with their neighbors. And, and, you know, how will history judge us? Well, it's up to us. Uh, What are we going to do with these days? These are volatile times. But I always say, again, use the obstacles to to make all things work together for good. Mm -hmm. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you guys. Y'all so precious. Love you, Herbert. And I love you guys. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you. 
Shannon, I'll give you the shout out because you didn't get one. We were talking about the fact pack the other day. Shannon Deal, she's a sweetheart. Go to watchchad.com and get all of the good stuff. And of course, go to blazetv.com slash chad. You can use promo code chad and get the full catalog of all Blaze TV programming. There's some good stuff out there. Some good stuff. And you need to go and follow Allie Beth Stuckey on Twitter and look at her recent response video of the celebrities that just care and what we will do to stop racism and evil in the world. We love y'all. God bless. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.